Hello everyone, welcome back to the podcast. This is the first and last episode, so you're not being welcomed back, you're just being welcomed. This episode is going to be called Rocky Road to Literacy. Literacy is a winding path that everyone takes. It can change with every interaction or assignment. In the same way, being literate cannot be defined solely by one interpretation. Without a concrete definition, we're free to personalize our own. This podcast will delve into my definition of literacy and all the different ways it's changed in my life. Literacy has always had a prominence in my life. As a child, I loved to read because of my mom. She was an English teacher that could never bear the idea of her children being illiterate, so its value was strictly instilled to me from the womb. Before I started school, she'd have me practice my name or address and read through children's books or parts of the Bible. I didn't mind it because it made me feel smart and productive. This led to English being my favorite subject since it was also my strongest subject. Ever since learning how to read and write, I've always felt like a writer. It went from songs that didn't rhyme to poems to full-on stories, but we'll get to that eventually. Later, when I was in school, I was required to do IXL or Reading Plus daily. I couldn't stand it. It was boring and overly time-consuming. Reading Plus had spelling, vocabulary, and reading comprehension lessons. The vocab and spelling were quick and easy. I didn't mind them. But the reading comprehension was my least favorite because of how long they took. There were six page long stories and each line revealed one at a time so you couldn't take a picture or skim through it. Then there were about 10 questions at the end. If it deemed that you read a page too fast, it'd make you start the whole thing over. I tried to flex the system by only doing spelling or vocab, but when my mom realized this, I had to do two each day and one had to be reading comprehension. She'd also have us follow a daily schedule which included cleaning, reading, and playing our instrument for at least 30 minutes a day. Let me tell you, okay, I had a special hatred for these schedules, mainly because they were timed. I can acknowledge the practicality of planning, but having to stick with one as, like, a five- or six-year-old is so tedious. I wanted to do things when I wanted to do them because I wanted to do them, not because a neon green laminated paper we printed in the back was pretending to be a contract. I'd be dishonoring my mom, though, if I didn't also include the positive aspects of literacy she introduced. She got into teaching for all the right reasons. Language is her sword and her passion. She just wanted to share that prowess with others. I credit my willing salutatorian to her. If she hadn't been the parent that cared about grades, I would have put away less effort into school a long time ago. Her teaching me to be so literate at a young age was a blessing, even though it's helped me up to be a weird kid. I use the word abhorrent way too regularly for a six-year-old. Every year, we drive up to Key Largo. The highlight of our family's year was getting out of our Miami Gardens house that hardly had a backyard for two weeks. We'd stay at a timeshare by the ocean in a house with a balcony. Every day, she'd ask me in a giddy voice like a child asking to play, Jocelyn, do you want to read with me? And every day, I'd say yes because I knew I was the only person that would. We'd sometimes sit for hours reading on the balcony, her with her Bible and me with the newest installation of Dork Diaries. Every time, she'd tell me about the chapter of the Bible she was on and ask me about my book, even when I'd started to reread books because I'd gone through them all before the trip ended. There weren't many times that I can remember being able to genuinely enjoy spending time with her, but I really did then. Those moments were peaceful. From then on, so was reading. School influenced my view of literacy in many ways, too. Because of the edge my mom gave me, I was top of my class when I started school and had the reading level of a junior in seventh grade. It inflated my ego so much that it's actually likely only gone down since. After I learned how high above the bar I was, I didn't feel like I had to try anymore. 
I put enough effort to get an A to bring back to my mom, but not enough to retain the information for longer than five days. There were the summer reading programs that took up my only time to be brain dead and added pressure to it, but book fairs. I loved book fairs. They were my favorite. It combined spending money and books, which were my two favorite things. My friends and I would spend a week begging our parents for money to blow on the same laser pointers and fake vomit we'd get every year. Then we'd get pulled out of class to spend as we pleased. Not only did it give me the opportunity to add to my book collection, I also had extra time to spend with my friends. Plus, we'd use all the stuff we got together. We'd laugh as we drew things that we shouldn't have on each other during class with invisible ink or race to see who could finish the whole series of the books we bought first. It was always Amaya. She's, she's insane. Anyway, as I got older, my teachers stopped giving out candy as incentives for reading, but until middle school, it didn't really matter. I genuinely enjoyed reading. I wanted to read every possible story so that I could be worthy of critiquing other stories and believing that my work was better in some cases. I was most captivated by writing that made unique connections in beautiful ways. This encouraged me to learn everything I could so that I'd have a vocabulary that could bring people to tears. That was until I realized that I was getting smarter and that socially it was harder to be smart at school than dumb. I've always talked with proper grammar and advanced words. This is because of my upbringing and the fact that I'd seen other kids at school mock AAV while simultaneously mimicking it. That confused me, and talking improper at home was heavily discouraged, so I just stuck to what I knew. Then it dawned on me that some of the other kids were befriending me just to have answers in class. It felt good to help, but I'd always feel used since they would hardly talk to me outside of that. I wanted to be people's friend, not their answer sheet, so I started to make myself dumber. I'd stop reading and only watch the most mind-numbing TV shows. I'd talk less, laugh more, and use smaller words, make my voice a few pitches higher, and twirl the beads in my braids until my fingers burned. But if the grade we got on assignment was a B or higher, it was shouted out to the whole class to save time. That meant that if I wanted the charade to work, I'd have to actually get bad grades. I didn't want to disappoint my mom, so that meant the charade was up. Then, in middle school, my classes were on the same floor as the high schoolers. The main problem with being smart in school was that I was black and smart. I was constantly told that I act white or that I was a white girl trapped in a black girl's body simply because I talked properly and was quiet. That was great to hear as a 13-year-old already struggling with her identity. At home, I barely spoke A.V. to my parents because it had me teetering the line of casual conversation and disrespect. My school was predominantly white Hispanics and had a mild evil streak of racism. I saw languages to be a part of identity, but I didn't know what language I was aligned with since my parents could never give me a straight answer on where they were from. Watching all my friends proudly wear their heritage got disheartening, so I pretended. My mom and I created a new language, pure gibberish with a Spanish accent. I was so desperate to have an acceptable culture that I created it myself. Being told I wasn't being black enough threw everything I thought I knew about myself and everything I knew I didn't into a blender to be merged and decimated. I started using slang more at school and went back to being my mom's prim and proper angel child at home. I constantly had to trade out my identity for another. Constantly fine-tuning my personality to my surroundings made me lose sight of who I really was and what I wanted. The expectation of code switching threatens true diversity. Arthur 3. In high school, my international student friends would talk about their academic frustrations. They talk about how expectations and mannerisms were different in America. My friend Seth said her parents came to visit her and almost brought out the chancla because she went straight to the point of the conversation and didn't greet them the way she normally would in Colombia. 
When she first enrolled in our school, she was so upset because she was exceptionally smart in her native language, but nobody could tell because her English wasn't as good. Then, when she went back home, the way she talked was so different that people would misinterpret her. I always resonated with her. I know that it's, like, way different, but it felt like no matter what I was saying or where I was saying it, it still wasn't right and I was the odd one out. I never felt like I was allowed to figure out how I wanted to express myself, and I was just being what was beneficial to my setting. How can one be an individual if they're only a fragmented mirror? I've always found performing and analyzing performance sterling. Watching shows fueled the actress-director part of me and, and gave me an idea of what people found entertaining in real life. The moment I was able to drown myself in bad TV shows, I was doing it proudly. I loved enveloping myself into another world. I came into the realization that instead of watching shows, I could rewrite them with the only restriction being my own imagination. I'd stay up for days at a time, reading other people's fanfiction on Wattpad, finding things I hated about them, and keeping those things in mind when writing my own. Before skills or even background knowledge, literate people need a place to be literate. Young, 69. Looking back, most of my work was terrible. Though I was proud of it at the time, I never told anyone about those spaces so nobody could ruin it. I found like-minded people that enjoyed the same things I did and expressed it in the same way. I'd also take requests so that I could bring an idea to life for someone that couldn't for themselves. Though I don't upload anymore, communicating, connecting, and collaborating online was my lifeline, especially during quarantine. Nobody there called me a white girl trapped in a black girl's body. Nobody pretended to be a companion for a high score. They commented on the quality of work, not its creator. I was seen as an intelligent writer in a place where I was welcome. Quarantine for COVID killed my ability to speak freely. I was mostly alone in the house and hardly saw my friends for two years. I had all the time in the world I could ask for to write, but not to speak face to face. My house was chaotic, to say the least, and my parents and I weren't close. So when I did converse, it was uncomfortable and forced. For months, I could hardly put a verbal sentence together. Second nature jokes stopped coming to me at fear of going too far, and natural conversation starters disappeared simply because they were underutilized. Instead of talking to people being fun like it once was, it panicked me because I didn't know what to expect anymore. I started publishing stories online again since it helped me reconnect with the world in a way that I was comfortable with. I could say what I wanted in the way that I wanted to without having to worry about if it triggered an outburst or an hour-long lecture. Senior year, I had an English teacher named Miss Ramirez. I always tried my best in her class, but she made it easy too. Every day, she reminded me why I actually liked writing so much. While she still guided us, she displayed writing as something freeing that should bring relief. Each class, we had a writing prompt. Sometimes they were crazily introspective, and other times it was something ridiculous, like if the sun went down and never came up, what's your first move? If we didn't know what to write, she'd just wave us off until we figured it out on our own. It didn't matter if what we wrote really made sense, just that we made a connection for ourselves and defended it. She valued expression alone, like Rose from Morris Young's article. A writer is a person who writes. Young, 60. Regardless of the topic at hand, in her class, everyone had a voice that was just as powerful as hers, no matter how it differed. Her teaching style was refreshing and nurtured individuality. Kids came as they were and left appreciated. Outside of class, she was always there to lend an ear or shoulder to cry on. If there was an issue with another teacher, she'd offer to mediate. She always supported me in my writing inside and outside of class. I wrote my graduation speech with her in mind. I wanted her to tell me afterwards that my speech was beautiful and be able to mean it, and she did. When I finished my speech, her woo was the loudest. 
Attaining literary security is difficult. Attaining literary perfection is impossible. I'm still trying to learn to be comfortable with how I naturally express myself and interpret others, whether that's on paper or in person. Not everything that's said matters, and you don't have to strain yourself trying to find value in what's unsaid. You don't have to express yourself the same way as everyone else to be understood or differently to have value. I'm proud of how literate I am, and I only wish I was sooner. I understand now that no sector of literacy spectrum is inherently wrong and no cadence is superior to another.